One of the things that stops small business owners from creating marketing content consistently is this feeling of being uninspired, of having no idea what to say in the first place. If you can relate to this, you are in good company. So many of us struggle with knowing what our marketing content should actually be about. But I am here to help. I have come up with 100 prompts that you can use to guide your marketing from your social media posts to your emails to your longer form content. I guarantee that these prompts will get you inspired and that you'll have more ideas than you even know what to do with. You can download this list of 100 marketing prompts for free at makinggoodpodcast.com slash 100 prompts. That's makinggoodpodcast.com slash 100-P-R-O-M-P-T-S. Welcome back to Making Good, the podcast for small businesses who want to make a big impact. I'm your host, Lauren Tilden, and this is episode 32. Today, I'm sharing a conversation I had with Nikki Innocent. Nikki Innocent is a speaker, certified women's leadership coach, diversity, equity, and inclusion strategist, podcast host, and social entrepreneur focused on belonging and transforming the future of leadership. Nikki works to give people the permission to live and lead authentically as uniquely themselves and to activate their privilege and power to create a future where we all belong just as we are. I loved this conversation so much, and I had more than a couple of aha moments talking with Nikki, which you'll hear in the interview. In this episode, we talk about the concept of feeling other and how Nikki has embraced it why it's important to get clear on your own identity and understand how it shapes your experiences. Nikki defines important concepts like diversity, inclusion, equity, intersectionality, dominant slash non-dominant groups. We talk about approaching things like diversity, equity, and inclusion in our small businesses. Nikki shares her philosophy on the power of speaking someone's name in spaces where they may not have the opportunity to be the power of intentional spending, and Nikki's vision of a more inclusive world where we can all thrive by being ourselves. I know you're going to learn so much from Nikki. I definitely did. Here's our conversation. Nikki, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Oh, Lauren, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here at Making Good. Yay. Um, Today, we are going to talk about how small business owners can be part of making a more inclusive world. And this is such an important topic. I am so happy to have you here to kind of lead the way. But before we dig into the content, let's start with an introduction. Could you tell me and the listeners who you are, what you do, and kind of what, what brought you in your path to where you are now? Oh, sure. Well, (laughs) hi, everyone. I'm Nikki Innocent. I am, I'll give you my little spiel of a bio that I give when I do, you know, the really quick ones when you're doing intros as an entrepreneur. (laughs) I am a a two-time TEDx speaker. I'm a women's leadership coach, and I'm a diversity, equity, and inclusion strategist. And I'm based in the Boston area. I'm originally from Connecticut. I like to say that I am a daughter of two feminist parents. Um, Mm. That is very, very much a core of why, as a little kid, I always believed that I could do anything I put my mind to. Um, My mom Mm. is originally from New York, and I mentioned she is white because I think it is relevant as we're going to be talking about diversity and inclusion, and I'm sure some racial identity dynamics here. And my father is black, and he is from Haiti. So I um, am a biracial woman and growing up in Connecticut, a lot of that time, I was the darkest person in a lot of the rooms that I was in. And um, it was an interesting experience that I think has shaped a lot of uh, my experience when I was working in kind of the corporate space, which Lauren, I know you as well were in corporate marketing. And that was mm-hmm. part of my background as well. Um, it definitely reflected in reflection back now, thinking about my career, a lot of the aspects of my gender and my racial makeup had an influence that I wasn't aware of at the time. And so I say this because it actually was a catalyzing force 
for the business and the work that I do now around women's leadership. And then also specifically around creating more inclusive workplaces. Um, we talk a lot when I do diversity, equity, and inclusion work, my areas that I really dive into are around gender, are around racial identity, and also around the generational dynamics that are at play um, in our workplaces, but also in our larger society that we're feeling. If you, I always talk about that, the idea that there's this pull between kind of that lazy millennial vibe, I'm using air quotes, but you can't see me, and <laughs> that kind of okay boomer um, response mm-hmm. that we that we have. And so I talk a lot about um, just the dynamics at play as we're trying to figure out how we can create spaces where we all can belong while we have been getting a lot of messaging that there is only room for one model of perfection or model of leadership or model of enoughness at the table. And so um, my background in the corporate space was in investment management and in management consulting. I um, I worked there for a little over 10 years and, you know, definitely a pretty male dominated space and definitely a, a pretty white dominated space. And so, uh, I learned a lot and I went to a business school. I went to uh, Bentley University in Massachusetts. And so I learned a lot from a professional perspective of like what a model leader look like. And I always talk about a model leader as like John Hamm in, uh, in Mad Men. So Don <laughs> Draper yeah. and I don't know about you, but I don't look like Don Draper. I don't act like Don Draper and I'm definitely not treated like Don Draper. And so a big part of those lived experiences in the workplace um, helped shape when I left the workplace. I got to a point where I was in burnout big time. I actually talk about this in my TED talk, my first TED talk, which is about embracing your other, that, you know, I was crying in the bathroom stall at work and I didn't know why, because I was killing it on all my performance reviews and Mm -hmm. I was doing really great work and I was hustling so hard and like so much of my identity was my work, but like, why was I gutted? Why was I crying all the time? All the external metrics of success were there. Why wasn't I feeling happy? Why wasn't I feeling like those boxes were checked? And so Mm -hmm. that burnout led to me being like, all right, I need to make a change. And so that's kind of how I made the decision and took the leap to, to step into kind of the entrepreneurial part of my journey. And, um, I took that leap and initially it was, uh, to, to step into marketing consulting and help uh, small and medium-sized businesses that were led by women to help kind of get their story out there. Because I really believe that storytelling is the currency that we all have the opportunity to, to participate in. And there's so much value there. And in starting that space, in kind of the consulting space, which I feel like is a wonderful place to start if you're considering um, small business work, is to like give yourself the opportunity to take, if you're in a corporate space, to to figure out like, is what I'm doing in corporate, what I want to do if I'm going out on my own. And I say that because I did that and it was a great holdover. But as I was doing that work, I was also doing my own kind of, I always talk about it like uh, career therapy, trying to figure Mm -hmm. out why it didn't work where I was before. And instead of just saying, okay, here's what I used to do in corporate. I'm going to translate that into entrepreneurship and keep doing that, figuring out like, actually, was there something else that I was put on this earth to do? And, um, I found a podcast actually that was about women's leadership and I devoured that. Like you talk about like Netflix binging. <laughs> I binged that podcast so hard and I realized that this whole idea of women's leadership was something that I thought was a flaw in me. I thought there was mm-hmm. something wrong with Nikki and why I couldn't, you know, I couldn't feel fulfilled by certain things or why I felt like I was always running up against the same wall all the time, that it was actually systemic issues. There was actually larger societal barriers in place that I thought were just barriers and stumbling blocks for me as an individual. And so that was one of those things I was like, if I'm thinking that, I know so many women that went to school with me, you know, when I went to school, it was 30% women. I know probably every single one of those women feels in some way that there's something they're doing wrong when it's a larger kind of gender dynamic in our society. And so mm-hmm. the marketer in me was like, I need to shout this from the rooftop. <laughs> yeah. Um, and as you start looking into identity, you start realizing that there's an intersectional dynamic to this. I know intersectional feminism has become a much more kind of prominent uh, phrase or uh language that we're speaking ever since kind of 2016, the women's March and all those things. But I think when I talk a lot about identity and dominance and not dominance, the intersection of your, of your identity buckets is so important. And so that's kind of how, once you start looking into gender, if you're really looking into gender, um, it, with a growth mindset, you start realizing that there are so many dynamics at play and that's kind of diversity, equity, and inclusion came into the, my world. I was actually invited by somebody that said, you should really do this. I became part of kind of the launch team of, um, an organization called She Geeks Out, and I was one of the lead. Faci- I was one of the 
initial facilitators for their work in organizations in the Boston area, mostly in the tech scene, but also in government and in healthcare um, to be doing some really, really, what I think is really, really important work and kind of uncovering unconscious bias and creating um, workplaces where you're recruiting diversely, but also retaining diverse talent. So that's kind of how I started and where I am now. I have now do work with women on an individual level for women's leadership coaching experiences, but also work with organizations to really create inclusive spaces for people are allowed and able to show up as fully themselves. And not only is it a wonderful thing from like a morale perspective and, you know, a kumbaya, let's all come together piece, but there's also an extreme amount of profitability that comes with that. Um, and it's one of those things that when you're talking to businesses, sometimes they talk about soft skills or they talk about these kind of nice to have from an HR perspective, but there's data everywhere now that's showing that when you really do invest um, in an inclusive workspace, you do see the benefits on your, on your uh, bottom line. Oh my gosh. You said so many things. I was like <laughs> trying to quietly take notes of like all the different threads of conversation I want to jump onto. Um, wow. I love everything about what you do. I went to a women's college, so I feel like yes. I had a bit of an early start in the conversation around like gender and yes. um, just the way that we experience the world is different depending on, you know, who, how we're born. I love, love, love what you do. Oh, yes. Me too. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing I really think is interesting is I love how you talk about how you grew up and your parents and how that shapes your approach and your experience in the world. Mm -hmm. I think that's just really good modeling for anyone listening to understand that no matter who you are, you, the way that you come into this world, the way that you grow up has some impact on your conditioning, how the world treats you, how you, how you run around in the world and are treated. Um, so I think it's a very good start to just kind of acknowledge that about yourself, whether you oh, come yeah. from a lot of privilege or a little bit of privilege or not so much like that. We all start different places and the awareness of where you are is such an important takeaway. And I, I think it's, it, it was such an important way to start this conversation. Most definitely. And I, you know, one of the things I feel like when we, we talk about any kind of identity dynamics, it's again, it can feel so ambiguous and when we are born into a certain way of living and that's what, that's our normal, what we know, it can be really hard to allow yourself the time and the space that when somebody is living different than you, that it isn't through your frame of reference. And that's a really difficult thing that I think gets lost in a lot of the conversations we have around diversity and inclusion and equity. And even, you know, no matter what lens you're looking at it through, I think that it's really important for us to kind of take a little bit of that shame and blame away from those conversations when it's something that is new to us. Cause we learn, mm -hmm. I always talk about it. Like we learn math, we learn history from a very specific lens. We learn science from a very specific lens, but we learn these very specific topics in school and you're in school from a very young age while your brain is developing, but we don't have identity education. And mm -hmm. the way we have identity education is right. It's through our, whatever our family unit is like the people that are, are influencing us outside of school. We don't really have that formal education. And now as we're in this time and this place right now, we're being asked to be experts and scholars on things that we didn't necessarily have the same level of education um, about that we did, you know, in those, those kind of core subjects when we were growing up in school. So I always like to kind of talk about that and kind of normalize the fact that this stuff, while it, it feels good to talk about sometimes. It's also has the underpinning of it being kind of hard. And sometimes we stumble, sometimes we fall. And just like if you're learning to ride a bike, you stumble, you fall, you get back up and you learn how to balance. You're not just born knowing how to ride a bike. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're totally right. Like these conversations, particularly for me as like a white person with privilege, I, I, I know they're so important to have, but I don't want to say the wrong thing. I know a lot mm -hmm. of people will relate to this. Yeah. And so I feel like that can really stop us from doing anything about it. Mm. Um, and I think we just have to be willing to get it wrong sometimes and, yes. you know, have our hearts in the right place and apologize if we need to and keep trying. Um, oh, for sure. So, yeah. Yeah. 
Let's talk about, so your podcast is called Checkbox Other. Yes. Um, I, I've heard you talk quite a bit about this experience of feeling other. Can you talk about what that means to you and how it might show up for our listeners? Um, oh, yes. And how you think, I think you touched on this a little bit, but how you think it impacted your path, this life experience of feeling other? Sure. Well, the first thing I always like to say about being other is there are some folks that might immediately have been like, oh, Nikki, you don't have to explain it. I know exactly what it feels like to feel othered. And there are mm-hmm. others that are like, what are you talking about? And really the idea of feeling othered or having to check the box that is other is that you don't feel like you have been included. You don't feel as though you belong. And so the actually origin point of the title for my podcast was me, you know, trying to a lot of the work that I did when I was in marketing, if people were having a hard time naming things or figuring stuff out was to just like brain dump on a Google doc. And I was trying to write down all the experiences in life that I thought would be helpful as I'm, you know, uncovering my own journey that I thought would be helpful to have conversations about and hear from others about. And pretty much what kept happening was the list items that I was lining out were like, if I had to fill out a form, like a census form about these topics, my answer would likely be other in most of these. I don't fit into one box. I don't fit into one category. And so there is that kind of holding area when it's the options, there's not enough options or the options aren't encompassing that you end up checking other. And sometimes there's a place to write in your specific part and others it's just like, yeah, you, you don't really belong in these, but yeah, so here's the catch-all. Um, so that's one part of the other experience and why and where that came from, from my podcast. But I always talk about the fact that I actually believe that these othering experience and hearing people talk about times where they didn't necessarily fit in a category, they didn't feel like they belong, is actually one of the most unifying experiences that we have as human beings as we're trying to mm. figure out how we fit and where we fit. Um, that even if you are dominant in specific parts of your identity, there are aspects of you and there have been times in your life where you don't feel like you're the right fit. You don't feel like your voice is being heard and you are afraid potentially that you're going to say the wrong thing or you haven't, you know, you're not passing well enough as whatever uh, metric of success is being measured at the time. And so in my podcast, the point of it is really to witness other people talking about times in their lives where they weren't really sure that they were meant to be where they were and how that played out. Because even if you aren't somebody that can identify with exactly the metric of identity that that wasn't necessarily fit at that point, there is this experience of feeling like having to navigate in our, you know, our, our human society where we are intended to be connected to one another, that you can feel as though you aren't sure if you belong where you are and you can connect with other people. And so I believe that the power that we each and every one of us has is in that other, is in that moment where we are different from those around us. Because again, the business person in me in the back end is like, when you're talking about a business, you are celebrating your differentiation point. You're celebrating Mm -hmm. the thing about your business that's bringing something different to the world. When we talk about our identities, for some reason, it ends up getting flipped a lot of times that like, if you're different, it's too much for me to handle. So if you could just like tone that down, shove that away and try to kind of code switch to fit in, that'd be much better. But, you know, again, if you're, if you're American, we grew up with this idea of like the American dream and this idea of, you know, Facebook and this <laughs> idea that you have this idea and it's going to become, you know, you make it in your, you, you make it in your college dorm room or, you know, think about like Apple, you do it in the garage at your parents or whatever. And all of a sudden it's going to be this incredible thing. Well, if we celebrate thinking outside the box for these businesses, but we don't celebrate the identity elements that allow you to be thinking and experiencing outside the box, how do those things come together? And so at least from my perspective, I believe that like the ability to own, acknowledge and celebrate where you're different is what will allow us to be, to move a lot faster towards an inclusive future, to move a lot faster towards a place where people can connect with each other, even if they are different. Oh my gosh, this is such a, um, epiphany moment for me. Like, (laughs) I love this idea. It is so true. I come from marketing as like you do from the corporate world and still obviously as small business owners, we are constantly working on marketing. Um, and you're right. Like the, the sort of conventional, like gold standard marketing advice is to show how you're different, you know? Um, and that's what makes, that's, what's going to make people attracted to you or your product. And I have never drawn the line of why don't we do that with people? Why, right. you know, why do we think that? Yeah, it's, it's, I guess it's conditioning, but we 
just kind of grow up always looking for ways to fit in with other people instead of mm-hmm. celebrating the ways that we maybe don't. Um, yeah. Well, and I think about um, it even this way, you know, when you're talking about businesses, people talk about, are you a B2B business or a B2C business? So business to business mm-hmm. or business to consumer. And I remember when I was in school, I was like, it doesn't matter. There are people behind all of it anyway. Like I get yeah. what you're saying from the size and scale, but like baseline, we're having to figure out how people are making purchase decisions and that business is trying to do the same. So like you got to break it down to the humanity of it all. But yeah, it is, it's not, it's not the messaging we get. Definitely not from a very young age. I mean, before we're verbal, you're getting all this information everywhere. Mm-hmm. And even just this like schooling, the um, experience of like I went to public school. I think a lot of private schools are probably similar, but just um, being taught how to like act a certain way and everyone needs to act the same way and you need to ask for permission and mm-hmm. um, like kind of fall in line. That's really not how you thrive as an adult. I get why it works for like the economic machine. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think I've had to go through this process of unlearning a lot of the sort of conformist tendencies yeah. that I kind of, not by anyone's fault, just like the system of how yeah. you were raised is very much like do what everyone else is doing. Like, don't make, don't make a stir. Don't cause a commotion, you know, just kind of yeah. fall in line. So, um, and add your, add your identity, right? Like add the fact that you're a woman and that even more so you're learning this mm-hmm. in a gender diverse environment one way or another, you're assuming, you know, that you're going to a public school. I too went to public school. And so from statistics, you would assume it's 50, 50 at that, at that right. point. Right. But there's, you're learning to fall in line and you're learning to follow the rules, but you're being treated a certain way because of your gender expression. You're being treated a certain way because of your racial makeup. You're being treated a certain way, even in those places where there are supposedly universal rules are being enforced differently. And you're, whether that is something that's overtly being spoken, like, you know, girls are supposed to be nice and boys can run around and boys can punch each other and that's okay. Um, or it's something that isn't, isn't as overt. And it's that when you speak up, you're being told, you know, you're being treated differently or even more. So I guess this is over being told that you're bossy when a guy next to you can say the same thing and he's celebrated as a leader for it. And so I think mm-hmm. there's this, this dance between, yeah, here are the rules that are written on paper, but here are so many of the unwritten rules that we're all just living by and we're marinating in every day. So we, again, put so much personal onus and individual responsibility on things that like, Again, I, I talk about this a lot when I'm talking about kind of racial oppression. That like we put a spe- you know, you talk about being white. I mean, I as much, you know, I, my mother is white, my father is black. I grew up in a very white space. And so I can understand a lot of my whiteness through that lens. And I think that what happens is when you are in a country that is kind of marinating in whiteness and you are in a space mm-hmm. that is very much representing whiteness, it's hard to understand your individual dynamics in that as well. And I think a lot of the conversations we have, especially right now um, in our country, as we're, we're having this kind of reckoning around social, uh, racial justice and social justice work is that there is this pull between kind of the collective responsibility and the individual responsibility and not really knowing when to pick up the baton for which part. Mm-hmm. Let's dig into that perfect transition a little bit. Um, (laughs) I would love if we could just start with, for anyone who is kind of just getting into this world of racial justice and diversity and inclusion and belonging, can we do a bit of like a dictionary defining of a bunch of these terms? You you mentioned intersectionality, um, diversity, inclusion, equity, what do we mean? What do people mean when they're using those words? Sure. I tend to, well, I'll start definition, but I know myself, I tend to go metaphor a lot too, because some of these words (laughs) can, (laughs) what I found, it's so funny. Yeah. Well, and I've also found in, in the podcast that I do too, when I talk to people, a lot of times we're talking about very specific topics with a word that has been used and kind of diluted a lot too, when it becomes larger public consciousness, words get swapped in for a whole bunch of different things. Right. So I, I find sometimes the dictionary definition is helpful, but also giving that kind of relative point is helpful too. So as far as diversity, I'll start there because I think diversity is the one we hear the most and it seems to encapsulate so many different things to so many different people. The way that I think about diversity is 
the way that companies tend to talk about diversity is through numbers. And so it's the idea that you have an, well, depending on your level of diversity, when you're talking about diversity in spaces where it's your aspirational spot to be, it's having a representative group. So a lot of times when you think of diversity metrics in an organization, or you think of diversity metrics, when we talk, we actually talk a lot about this in politics of, you know, how our house of representatives, the, what that makeup looks like, the the ability to see the numbers and the kind of quanti- quantify what what's going on in there. So, you know, a certain makeup of something can be diverse or it cannot be diverse. And so ideally, when you're talking about diversity, you're talking about how that makeup is happening. And then when you're talking about inclusion, you're it's there. I think I think of them as like family members <laughs> or maybe mm-hmm. even a, la- a layer deeper. Inclusion is the experience of those diverse members and ensuring that they're having an experience where each of them is able to show up as themselves, not to show up as mm-hmm. A white male, if the space is created for and uh, set up for white men to succeed, that not every person needs to now code switch into white maledom one way or another, but that the space is inclusive, that you have the opportunity and the ability to belong as yourself within that space and that systems and structures are set up so that you don't have the barriers in place because you are a woman, because you are a person of color, because you are queer. That those are not those are not things, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that diversity tends to be the word we use because it's something that is tangible a lot of the time. So you can say, oh, look at my right. diversity metrics going up. But the things that you can't necessarily see unless you're surveying and actually asking and continuing the conversation with the people around you is do people feel as though they are able to show up as themselves? Is this space actually creating a space where not only are you asked, this This is the kind of, this phrase people talk about is diversity is being invited to the party, but inclusion is being asked to dance, being invited Mm -hmm. to be part of it and feel as though you belong on that dance floor. Um, Mm -hmm. Intersectionality, I think was one of the ones that you mentioned. Intersectionality is this idea that um, it actually, I should say this, the history of this actually comes from um, Kimberly Crenshaw, who uh, Mm -hmm. is a social justice um, activist, but also is a lawyer and had done work in a case, I believe it was in the eighties, maybe early nineties. That was, uh, it was about, um, discrimination in the workplace. And the idea was it was, the conversation was around, um, the fact that not only if you're being discriminated by gender, you might be, well, so let me go this way. So it was about women of color in the workplace. And the fact that women of color are not only being discriminated based on the fact that they're a woman, but they're also being discriminated based on the fact that they're black. So it was, it was about black women very specifically, Mm -hmm. not just, I shouldn't say women of color when I'm talking about specifically black women. Um, And so the idea was it's a compounding effect. It's not just, okay, you can pull the gender to one side and the race to the other side, and then they equally have the same amount of weight and you can kind of pull out of your racial identity and show up as just your gendered identity. It's the fact that those kind of come together and that's added weight to itself or added implications from a societal perspective. So there's an Mm -hmm. intersection of the impact of your um, identity dynamics. I don't know if I'm, I, I get nervous sometimes yeah. when I'm speaking jargony. Um, no, no, that but, makes a lot of sense. Okay, good. So the, and I I'll also, cause I use the words dominance and non-dominance, like they're, you know, what people say all the times and it's not, it's, I would say, I hope it moves closer to that, but um, we use a lot of times we use the words majority and minority. Um, and just from uh, demographic numbers, it's actually no longer going to be the case that majority and minority, if you're thinking of it from like genuine Literally. verbiage, is, yeah. is, is a reality. So, um, and even more so when you're talking about gender, I mean, in order for our human species to exist, you would, it, it wouldn't be majority minority. Um, mm-hmm. It's ideally 50-50 here, right? Um, so dominance and non-dominance is actually the idea as we're talking about diversity and inclusion. And I should also mention equity, equity versus equality is that equity means that you have the opportunity to succeed as yourself in the same level that somebody else has the opportunity to succeed as themselves. So not that you have the exact same playing field because the playing field actually might be skewed for another person, but the fact that you're, you're each playing on a playing field that you have the same opportunity on. Um, And then dominance and non-dominance Dominance is about power. So a lot of these uh, systems that we're talking about, systems of oppression that we have in our society are really around power more than kind of that majority minority piece. So who has the most power? Who has the opportunity and the privilege of that identity, the identity um, bucket to have and exert power over? And the non-dominance or target being targeted um, is the group that doesn't necessarily have the power to make those decisions, to make those rules, to be heard in the same kind of way. 
That's really helpful. Thank you for those. I also have a podcast episode. Let me say this. If you're really interested in this like educational part of this stuff, I have a podcast episode with somebody named Dr. T Williams. He's incredible. He has like, he's got PhD. He knows everything about it. It's a two hour episode. It, we got like deep into it. So if this is something you want to <laughs> get on, please head on over there. He is much better at talking about all this stuff than I am. Yes, for sure. I will make sure that we link that in the show notes. Um, that's, that's great. Let's talk about how this all applies to small businesses. So I think a lot of times it can be hard for small businesses. Maybe they are a one person shop. Maybe they've got a couple of employees, maybe 10, but it's hard for them to think about how, no matter how well-meaning they are, like how they could possibly make an impact when it comes to being, creating an inclusive world and, um, you know, doing their part to take part in this change that is so overdue when it comes to racial justice. How, how, what would you say to the small business owner who's just feeling like they want to do something, but they kind of doubt their ability to make an impact based on, you know, they're not Microsoft or they're not Apple Mm -hmm. or Facebook. They are just this small jewelry company, or in my case, stationary company. Like, what would you say to that small business owner? Well, first, I'm like smiling so big right now. Um, (laughs) What I would say is, hi, I see you. I understand that feeling. And I think that that feeling is something I'm sure you have felt outside of just this particular topic. I'm sure that there are elements of, and I at least can speak from my perspective, and even Lauren, before we hopped on, talking about how, you know, as an entrepreneur and as somebody that's a small business owner, you wear all the hats and you also battle with all the self-doubt and you, you feel the ups and you feel the downs in a way that you wouldn't if you were a Microsoft and an employee at Microsoft. And so I think that that feeling is something to be honored and to acknowledge that like, yeah, this stuff is, is, is a very common experience of like this, <laughs> this pull between kind of futility of feeling like there's nothing I can do because I'm just one person. And then also this sense of like so much pressure and weight because I am the only person. So I always mm. like to talk about the fact that we're like on two ends of the spectrum when ideally we can move ourselves more towards the middle each and every day because you are doing the mm. best you can with what you've got. Um, but when I talk about, you know, when I think about small business owners and really venturing into the space of, of really trying to make an impact with the work that you're doing, with what you're putting out in the world, and really with like the breaths that you're taking each day and the life that you're living each day, how you can make an impact as an individual person or as a small business of, you know, just a few folks. Um, I always like to think about it like what, do you, you know, walking the walk. You know, your representation of yourself in that day, you have no idea who you're impacting by the choices that you're making. And so giving yourself Mm -hmm. the value of the choices that you're making and knowing that your personal journey, if you choose to, if you choose to invest in time and energy to really become more aware of what's happening in the world around you, around racial justice initiatives and around, you know, the racism in our country and around the, the supremacy with which a lot of our systems are set up. If you educate yourself, those things will start in the same way that like, you know, the answer to one plus one equaling two, you're not going back to math class every time you've learned that it becomes part of your operating principles when you start allowing yourself to be more educated. And I think that's one of the pieces that we've seen initially back in June when people were like, okay, I need all the books. I need everything. I'm drinking from a fire hose, trying to learn everything really quickly. Mm -hmm. But like you also didn't learn all your years of schooling in a month. So giving yourself that freedom to learn and grow at the pace that you're learning and growing now. And also let's give credit to the fact that like we have adult brains, they don't move as fast as kids' brains grow. So Mm -hmm. giving yourself that, I think, level of compassion as you're doing this. Because I think, again, one of the, especially when you're tackling race, one of the interesting parts of um, the racial dynamics in our society is this almost immediate feeling of, I shouldn't be doing this whether you know you should, you're feeling that or not. It's like, we don't talk about race. We don't see race. I don't know if you grew up with this, but I mean, I grew up with a black father and a white mother and I still grew up thinking the world needed to be colorblind. And I'm like, wait a second, like my family unit, it's not colorblind. (laughs) I'm the blended Mm -hmm. of the two. What are we talking about? So I think um, really allow- Can I interrupt you a tiny bit? Oh, please. Will you you talk about that a little bit? This idea of, I was definitely raised with the same- Yes, sort of philosophy toward race that the the ideal is to be colorblind to not see <laughs> mm-hmm. that someone is black and the person next to them is white. 
Why is that maybe not the most helpful way to approach it? Well, you know, I think about it. Let me just think. I feel like it would be, I think the best way to approach it, because again, a lot of this stuff tends to be something that we, there are little trap doors everywhere. And especially mm-hmm. around race, when we talk about it at all, we have really wonderfully honed ways to avoid the discomfort of it. So mm-hmm. a lot of times when we're thinking about this stuff, I, I think about how can you map it to another experience in your life of difference? And so if you think about it this way, if you, um, if you grew up thinking that there was no difference between a man and a woman, because we're all people, then there would be asset. <laughs> there's no difference between a man and a woman. We're all people and everything is set up for men. What would happen would be that every woman needed to adjust any aspect of her biology to fit in all of the things that are set up for men because we're all people. But really the way the system's set up is that it's set up for men. And so I think when we allow ourselves to see that, like, while it might feel good to say, I don't see color, you do. We see color. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's a Harvard implicit bias test. I encourage you to go take a look at it. Um, it's free. It's online. And you can actually click around. You see color. We see the differences in each other. It's part of what, again, as human beings, we are, we are built to be able to notice patterns and notice differences. It's part of how when we were kind of prehistoric, well, I shouldn't say prehistoric, but, you know, <laughs> we were able to survive because we were able to notice differences within, you know, within ourselves, within our fellow man, but also within what, see, man, I just said it right there, right? We've we've got that baseline. (laughs) But I think the idea is that instead of striving for blindness, why don't we strive for sight? Why don't we strive for the opportunity to be able to see the beauty that we have around us and our differences? I think it taps right back into the kind of the otherness that we were talking about there, that we do a lot better when we can collectively understand that we are different and we are better for our differences rather than the fact that we're striving for kind of that, um, that bland, everybody looks exactly the same because we are all colorblind. We can't see. So mm-hmm. at least from my perspective, I think when we talk about colorblindness, it was, I think it was an attempt to create an easier way to interact with one another. But I think what it ended up doing was silencing a lot of conversations that we really needed to have that were still happening without words, that there were a lot of experiences that were happening that weren't being given the time and the space because it was actually doing it for, to offset the discomfort that people might feel with the fact that we do have a society that sets things up from a perspective that based on your skin color, you are treated differently, you're given different opportunities. Um, and you're given a leg up or you are, you're being put further back. You have more obstacles in your way one way or another. So I don't know mm-hmm. if that's helpful, but that's, yeah, you know, that's really think, helpful. I think that's one way to think about the colorblind thing. Cause I, again, it's one of those things you learn it from a really young age. I don't see color. You're my friend. It doesn't matter what you look like. It's like, it does matter to me in my lived experience, just because you don't see me this way. The world sees me that way. And so therefore it's disqualifying the experiences that I've had. And I can't really talk to you about it. I can't really have yeah. that level of friendship with you because, oh, wait, you don't see that that's a part of my reality. It is, but I get it. Yeah, I feel like it's almost, it's like if we were told to say, I don't see color, but really what we were meaning was, I don't, I'm not racist or, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to treat you differently because of your color, but like, yes, you see it. Right. Um, that was just sort of the easy button, like you were saying, to kind of avoid maybe having to avoid like looking at your own role yeah. in it. Um, yeah. And you're, because- and really, I, I'm uncomfortable by, uncomfortable by the fact that our society is set up valuing color differently, I think is, is where you can kind of channel that colorblindness. It's not, there's no, again, as a little kid being taught that and really feeling that you're not a bad person for it, but it is, again, the socialization that you've been marinating in. So the ability as the adult you were talking about to rewrite the rules that you're living by and really restructure so it aligns with your values and what you've learned now, being able to see the world with adult eyes, how you're choosing to move forward. And uh, you know what, I'll bring it back because I think one of the things how we started here was, you know, what can small business owners do? And part of it, when, when I think about this is, you know, Personally, for me, I always talk about like, you know what? The $5 I spend somewhere has an impact. That is how our economy works. Yes. Every penny I spend, right? (laughs) So I don't have to be Microsoft. I don't have to be Bill Gates. I don't have to be Oprah Winfrey. I mean, I'd like to be. 
(laughs) (laughs) I'd like, you know, I'd like to be in some ways, right? I I think that there's a part of this that like every dollar you're spending, every amount, you know, that there's, there's also value in who you're sharing the spotlight with, who you're, who you're sharing the spotlight with, who you shine the spotlight, spotlight on, which I think that whole share the mic piece on Instagram was kind of tapping a little bit into that power, that influential power, not just the financial power that you have. Um, I always talk about the power of being somebody that's in a room that somebody else may never have the opportunity to be in and speak their name and kind of vouch for them. And so I think that's part of one way you can do that within your communities, within the groups that you're in. If you know somebody that is in a non-dominant identity group and you know that they are just amazing at this thing, but maybe they're not necessarily in that room, speak their name. I think one of the things that... um, Again, if you look at studies, that there's there's a recent study that came out. It's a women's leadership study. I believe it was the KPMG women's leadership study. I feel like I might be getting wrong. It's either KPMG or the McKinsey <laughs> uh, Lean In one. I'll find it and I can send it to you. But okay. the idea from it was that uh, there is, I think it was 62% of women that were um, that were interviewed called themselves allies. But in practice, when asked about what that allyship actually looked like in action, the percentages were specific were significantly lower. You know, I think a big part of this is, yeah, we can call ourselves whatever we want to call ourselves, but how are you walking the walk? So I think speaking mm-hmm. people's names, hiring people of color, hiring people in non-dominant identity groups, I think is an important part of it. One, because economic power. But two, I think the fact that you're bringing those difference, those differences of lived experiences from your own to your business, it actually makes a huge difference. <laughs> it brings mm-hmm. your business a beautiful amount of value. It's funny. I was actually speaking with a coaching client the other day. And one of the things we were talking about was the fact that we were striving towards um, potentially a job that was out of her kind of purview initially. She was, hadn't really been thinking about it. It wasn't something she had uh, experience with, but she was concerned because her background wasn't the same as somebody else who had had that job before, but people were telling her she should go for it. And I, mm-hmm. you know, it was something that was so interesting. And I think about this as, as a small business. Like you see other people in your industry doing something, but maybe they have a different background than you. So maybe you shouldn't do it. To me, it's like, you should do it because you have that different background. You're going to bring a different perspective to whatever that problem is, whatever that, you know, problem solving opportunity is. It's coming from the lived experience that you have that no one else does. And so I think as we're talking about small businesses, bringing in perspectives and and ideally allowing yourself to thrive and grow, there is so much beauty in bringing in differences of perspective. The last part that I like to talk about when I talk about this stuff is the fact that our demographic is shifting so significantly from a um, from a racial perspective specifically that our makeup if the it was the 2015 census is showing that our demographics in our country are shifting so significantly that by 2030 well, I'm going to get this I hope I get this number right everyone under the age of 50 yeah this is what it is the population under the age of 50 is going to be more than 50 percent non-white while the population that's 65 plus will be about 72% white. And so if you are a small business that is providing any kind of service or product to the consumer, your consumer base is becoming more and more diverse. And so to be able to hire and um, hire vendors, hire interns, hire uh, partners and affiliates and work with clients and, you know, offer your services and your magic into the world for people that look and have different experience than you, I think it makes a huge difference in the fact that that's the world that we're, we're stepping into. The millennial generation is huge. It's, it's the largest generation we have right now. And it's significantly more diverse than, than the, um, popul- the generation before. And the Gen Z generation is even more diverse. And so we're just heading towards a perspective of that idea that, again, I talked about diverse. Those numbers are showing you that, but how do we create a space where your business is creating an inclusive environment where people feel as though, even if I am different than what the founder or the owner looks like, is this a place where I can show up? And how Mm -hmm. are you speaking to me? Are you creating spaces where it understands and acknowledges any aspect of my experience might be different from yours? Mm -hmm. So good. Oh, good. (laughs) Yeah. So I I hope that everyone listening just kind of lets all of that sink in. And with each of the points she mentioned, like the sharing the mic, thinking about where you spend and spending intentionally, um, hiring, um, just the customer service and, you know, decisions you make on how you kind of treat your audience. Yes. These are all things that even though they feel 
like they're such small decisions because we're small businesses. If we're all doing this and if you tell your friend next to you to do the same thing and, you know, it, it does add up a lot. A huge percentage of our economy is, is driven by small businesses. So it's, yes. I think we all need to do our part and maybe the first step is look at your own business and figure, maybe do a bit of an audit, figure out where you can make some tweaks. I've done this and they're not, you know, you could do a, you can make a lot of these decisions in an afternoon. It's yes. not even, I mean, obviously it's, it should be an ongoing process, but it's when you really sit down to kind of think about like, okay, like, am I buying, is the vendor for my, uh, is the manufacturer of my greeting cards? Like, do their values align with mine? What's yes. their identity? Like these decisions can be actually made easily and they make such a big impact. So and you ask the question, right? Like, I think that's part of the, the sourcing process too. If you're going to try to find people to work with, ask the, allow yourself to ask the question. And, and I think even in that process, even if you don't go with those people, and even if those folks don't represent kind of the diverse makeup you're looking for or aren't inclusive in their values, by bringing up the conversation while you're vetting and you kind of, again, as the person that's going to be investing the money, you likely have a, more of the power they're trying to sell to you by you voicing the fact that these things are important to the values of your business starts normalizing mm-hmm. the fact that we have these conversations. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think a everyone, we would encourage you. I, I speak for us both, I think <laughs> to just look at like your business and sort of the different um, categories that you, sh- you could kind of dig into that Nikki mentioned and see where you might be able to make some changes. Um, but also just encourage all of your other small business friends to do the same within their businesses, because if we can create enough of a ripple, a ripple effect, enough of like a, a wave of this sort of approach to small business and to decision-making within our businesses, that will add up to be as big as the Facebooks and the apples and, you know, the big, the big brands that we think have more power, but we just, we have a lot of power. We just need oh to think goodness, of ourselves yes. as like part of a collective. Yeah. And there's, um, there's, I'm, I, I normally am not like a study person, but apparently I'm bringing them all up today. Um, <laughs> I there, was a, there was a study recently from American Express that was all about the state of business and the state of small businesses. Um, and it was talking about the fact that women-led businesses and specifically black women-led businesses have such a huge impact, not only on our economy or opportunity on our economy, the amount of revenue that they're bringing in is, you know, is sizable, but also the ability to um, create hiring opportunities is so mm-hmm. significant. And so, a lo- the biggest kind of barrier that was shown up is shows up is the lack of investment in these particular endeavors. And so, I think we have the ability as smaller business owners to be able to invest in one another. We don't necessarily need some big, huge ticket investor in order to make our our services or our products viable. If each and every one of us invests in one another in that way and invest with that mm-hmm. inclusive lens, we have so much buying power. We have so much power and influence in that to make shifts happen. Because again, those those apples, they're looking at the trends in the retail space. They want to stay relevant. So you can start leading the way, even in those, again, I think of them as like those $5 decisions, even if it's something as small as what you're doing for, you know, I don't even know, again, I don't want to speak for your business, but what feels like the smallest, easiest decision that you can make that you're like, oh yeah, I I go with this person because this person went with that person or because my dad knows that person. Maybe Mm -hmm. think about like, can I widen my scope of who I'm even looking at and having conversations with? And then the last, I want to mention one other thing. I think which this came through with the, um, the black squares on Instagram. Um, I think being willing to show up and be vocal about your support for people and for companies that don't necessarily look, act, and appear like you out in the world is a really important thing. Um, in the same way I was talking about kind of those unwritten rules we learn as we're growing up because we're seeing and witnessing them. I think being somebody that is present and showing up in places that you that not everybody looks like you normalizes the fact that we can be in spaces that don't need to be homogenous, that we can support people that might be different than what you would assume that we would support. And so I encourage you to be able to, again, use that kind of influential power of yours to really find people that you align with from a value perspective and, and allow yourself to get, you know, to use that wonderful voice of yours and to, to 
to really create this kind of collaborative dynamic where it is a really representative uh, group mirroring our population that is becoming more and more diverse. Yes. So such a good point. Um, I want to ask you a question. If you could paint a picture of a diverse and inclusive future, what would that look like? So much of the way we look at things is where we lack. And so much of the way we look at things is where our weaknesses are and where our differences are and where the voids are. And I think that if we get to a spot, and I believe when we get to a spot, when Mm -hmm. we are in an inclusive society, the centering point won't be around where things lack, where things went wrong, where you can be better and different than you are. They instead will be around celebrating how you are different, celebrating those times when you succeeded and also those times when you got back up when you failed. Um, Also, I believe that that society that I like to see is one that is collaborative, that understands that like, because you and I do the same thing doesn't mean that we're enemies. It doesn't mean that we're against each other. There is more than enough room for me to exist in this space and you to exist in this space. Um, And I also believe in the power of our shared humanity. And so I believe that we have this opportunity to this is part of why, you know, I do individual coaching and then I also do larger format coaching. I believe in the power of the individual to really be able to take that time and understand where their strengths lie and where their differences are. And that is a contagious experience where once you do that and you, you're much more appreciative of other people because you're allowing yourself to be like, this is what I'm really good at. And the person next to me doesn't have to be good at those things. They can be good at the things they're good at. And we can figure out how to use the power of our strengths to elevate all of us. So I think at least from my perspective, it's this, this, it's a lot of kind of women's leadership thought process too, that is around like the idea that we're part of a collective and we want to see each other succeed rather than this idea that mm-hmm. we need to scratch and claw because there's only one spot at the top of the table. Right. Totally. And I, you know, belonging. I mean, big, big picture of that too, is that, that you can belong. You're not trying to be, I think of it as like, we are not all trying to wear the same suit. We're not all trying to wear, if you're, you know, from an entrepreneurial perspective, we're not all trying to wear that Steve Jobs outfit. Um, mm-hmm. We're able to show up in our full selves and look and act and believe and talk about things in a way that like you and I might not necessarily agree, but we can respect the fact that, you have a valid experience because you are a human being and we're not projecting our crap that we haven't, (laughs) we haven't worked through on one another. We're actually able to stand in our strengths and really appreciate who we are and how we come to the party. Because, you know, we talk about how we have, again, you think about DNA, how that's used, right? Like every single one of us, you know, I shouldn't say every single one of us, most of us have different DNA makeup, right? So Mm -hmm. That is a beautiful, wonderful thing. And inherently we are different. What if we created a space where that was truly honored and celebrated and valued for what the beauty it is that you and I are very different people. And that doesn't necessarily mean we have to be divided on those things. We can actually come together and figure out what's the complementary piece to that. Mm -hmm. Um, I just want to keep picking your grain forever. I just, I'm going to try to squeeze in a couple more questions before we start to wrap up. Um, Let's talk about leadership, which I know is really at least one of the bread and butters of your business. Yeah. Um, One of the things that you talk about is how, and this is sort of segueing from what you were just saying, is that leadership is really, I think, maybe ideally a very individual thing, that there aren't these like five leadership qualities that everyone needs to have and, you know share in common. And that's what makes a good leader. Mm. What will you, what is your approach to leadership specifically women's leadership or leadership for other diverse communities? Um, what do you, do you just want to riff on this a little bit? Like what is your take on leadership and how we can kind of lean into our individuality to, to become stronger leaders? Yeah. You know, I think a lot of times when I talk about leadership and talking about kind of the future of leadership, I use the word modern leadership and that is normally in, in comparison to what traditional leadership models have been. And so a lot of times that shows itself from the generational side of things. And we're talking about, um, you know, the way things have been done and that, you know, you need to 
bide your time and you need to work X amount of hours and you need to work at this company for 50 years until I shouldn't say 50 for 25 years until (laughs) you get that leadership position. And you need to go through all of the hurdles and have the exact same experience as the person before you. So you can get to their job. And like this idea that time is money and that there are all these hurdles in the way. And what's happened is that we don't live in a world that that reality is playing out. We live in a world where you can go on YouTube and learn something that somebody took 25 years to learn. You watch it in a you know, two minute, two and a half minute video and you've got it. And so the reality of what's been happening with regard to leadership is there are people that are learning, you know, you have, you have an encyclopedia at your fingers as a little kid, kids know how to mm-hmm. use a freaking iPad, like, come on. Mm-hmm. Like, so there is just information that wasn't available before that information is a driving force for so many things. And that's why, you know, when we talk about education and we talk about access to education, it's such an important thing because there's so much power in information and having access to true and factual information, but also the ability to think critically about that information. Um, And so I think when we're talking about leadership and specifically leadership within groups that have not been in the dominant uh, seat is to really allow yourself to get to know who you are and how you lead your life as you, not trying to be the Don Draper, we'll say. So I, you know, one of the big things we're actually, we're launched a new product um, that's it's a six part course and it's all about unlocking your passion, unlocking your purpose. But really it's all about getting to understand and like kind of crushing on yourself, <laughs> like falling in love, with, falling in love with yourself a little bit on your strengths <laughs> and understanding. Like I come to the party with all this badass power just by being me instead of coming to the party and saying, okay, here are all the ways that I could be better at what I do. And here, yeah, reading that five list, that list of five ways to be the best leader. And really when I read that, I'm only noticing that I've got like maybe a half of one of those. So I guess I can't be a leader. It's like, no, 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 Mm -hmm. you are a leader. You're leading your life every day. You're making decisions in your life every day. You're the CEO of that life. Whether you want to be a CEO of anything else, (laughs) that doesn't matter, that you are the person who gets to make decisions. And so I think really thinking about the fact that the best way for you to make aligned decisions in your life is to really get a sense of who you are and where your strengths lie. And so a lot of the work that I do with my clients is really getting a sense of like, I actually call it me search. So not it's research about me. So really getting familiar with like (laughs) the data points and the strengths and where, where you have the opportunity to light up and succeed. That is the core. That's the one plus one equals two type math that we need about ourselves. And so I really, Mm -hmm. really encourage you to allow yourself to dive a little bit into those strengths. And it might feel a little uncomfortable at first because a lot of times we talk about strengths, it's in reference to weaknesses and we're taught, especially as women to focus on our weaknesses, to make them better or appear better. But instead, like, what if we just put all that energy towards amplifying our strengths and understanding that we're human and there are going to be weaknesses and that we don't need to be all things to all people and be amazing at everything. The amount of energy we put to try to make our weaknesses, our top strengths. What if we took that energy and put it towards our strengths? That sustainable Mm -hmm. energy can give back to us and allow us to either create space for somebody who has a strength to your weakness to come in or to figure out how you can operate without having to be all of those things in that space. So I, you know, I think understanding and really getting to know, and again, crush on yourself a little bit, fall in love with yourself a little bit on those strengths. Cause as women, we're not supposed to really like ourselves that much. We're not supposed to talk about how great we are. We're supposed to sit still and look pretty. And what pretty looks like is what the magazines have told us from, you know, a very young age. And so I think that's Mm -hmm. one part. The other part is trusting yourself. I think, you know, imposter syndrome comes up a lot when I talk to women and, um, and really I shouldn't say just women. I did a whole podcast episode about imposter syndrome and the fact that it originates from the idea that it was a women's issue, but it's, it's not a women's issue. It's again, it's those non-dominant identity buckets being told that, to succeed, you can't look or be like you. So you have to be something other than you are. So therefore inherently you're thinking, I don't belong here. I'm not a fraud. So I, I, I am a fraud. Someone's going to find out mm-hmm. I shouldn't be here. Um, so really getting a sense of when you learn your strengths and get to know yourself, trust that the things and the gut feelings you have and the knowledge that you have are valid and viable and valuable <laughs> because so much of what we're battling with. And be- again, Lauren, before we hopped on, we were talking about the fact that like that I, I had a call recently with a guy that just started a business and the a white male that started a business. Um, and he and I have gone, you know, we, we've went to school together and we're talking about his business. And I was blown away by the fact that like, he wasn't talking about doubting himself at all. 
He wasn't talking mm-hmm. about any kind of wobble that I have with every, like every woman that I talk to about our businesses. We, we talk about the fact that there's this mindset dynamic and there's so much extra weight that we're, we're battling because of all the messaging we've got outside, um, whether we know that or not, but we're, we're kind of carrying so much additional weight to what a leader needs to look like. What if we just trusted the fact that like your gut instinct, what you know from all of the experiences you had and that wonderful internal divine feminine energy you have is leading you in the right direction. It would take Mm -hmm. so much extra work and time out of the way. And so again, I think get to know yourself, do that me search and trust, trust that information you get from that, that me search that you are valid and viable with the way that you're seeing and living and existing in the world. That other that you have is your superpower and lean into that rather than identifying it and feeling like, Oh God, right. I forgot. That's how I'm different. I should really hide that. No, Mm -hmm. allow yourself to celebrate it. So good. Um, man, I don't want to wrap up, but I'm going to start to do that. Um, How can listeners who are totally in love with your work and the way that you teach, which I'm sure they all will be, how can they support you and what you do? I know you have a new program. Yes, I have a new program, the Unlock Your Passion program. It's a self-guided on-demand program. So it's six modules. I talk about it like it's like having six women's leadership or just, I should say, new paradigm leadership coaching opportunities with me or sessions with me. There's exercises that go with each of them. And so I I, I just feel like if everyone could go through that experience and come out, you'd, you'd be crushing on yourself a little bit more. <laughs> winking at yourself in the mirror a little bit. Um, so that definitely, if, if any of this kind of strength-based stuff that I've been talking about is resonating with you. I encourage you to go there. Um, we are just super excited about it. Oh my God. I actually came up with a framework on a bus trip on my way back from an Oprah super soul sessions event in New York city. And I was like, Holy crap, I need to get all this stuff down. And so it came from a beautiful experience of being like, Oh wait, yeah. we can all exist as ourselves in this world. I mean, any kind of nuggets of wisdom you get from being in any kind of space that Oprah's involved in, take it, run with it. Um, totally. So yeah, I, I'd say that course, I, first I'll say, follow me on social media. If you'd like head on over to my website, all my things are Nikki innocent, two K's and an I is Nikki. And then innocent is the opposite of the word guilty. So, uh, <laughs> follow me on socials there, go to my website, sign up for my newsletter. We send uh, newsletters every month and we send new product newsletters. So along with the on-demand stuff we're doing, we're going to be launching some coaching programs to start off 2021. Specifically, I think we've had, I don't know about you all, but 2020 has been a year. Uh, Mm -hmm. So trying to really um, activate next year. Last year, we did an activate program. We're going to be doing an activate 2021 program. Um, And then we're going to be doing some group coaching kind of situations where you can not only get some coaching exercise and accountability and work, which if you don't know the statistics, it's on my website, but it's one of my favorites. So you're 95% more likely to complete a goal if you say it out loud to somebody and you set an appointment and a time to do it with somebody. So I just think about that Mm -hmm. as coaching. Like if you're thinking about working with a coach, do it. Otherwise, find someone that's your accountability partner. It is so important. And so we're going to be creating a community to do that because especially for women, um, the uh, the importance of confidence and connection specifically in community and seeing and bearing witness to other women making this wonderful investment in themselves and this progress forward and really creating an impact is so important for us. So I'm going to be creating some spaces there. So um, again, quickly, social media, on my website, sign up for my newsletter, you'll get all this stuff. Um, and hit me up. If you have questions like on social media, drop, send me a DM, something like that. Like, I'd love to hear from you because I mean, it's fun all it's fun and all, but I like being in conversation with people. I like that connection part more mm-hmm. than other, more than most, I think. Yeah. It's the best. Um, okay. My last couple of questions that we ask all the guests that yes. I know you're going to have something great on. Um, <laughs> the first is what is one business that you admire? Oh, okay. Um, mess in a bottle. So hmm. if you are somebody that loves a good printed tea, um, mm-hmm. shirt, I should say, uh, mess in a bottle is owned by Kalila, Wright. She actually was a guest on my podcast, but is somebody that I found through social media and like fell in love with so long ago. And mm-hmm. pretty much every speaking engagement I do, I wear one of her t-shirts. Um, one of my favorites, especially if you're a small business owner, one of my favorites is her t-shirt that says entrepreneur. And it's actually the shirt that I'm wearing on the homepage of my website. I encourage you to go check it out and to buy that for yourself because it's amazing. And they're also the most like comfy shirts too. So very important. The Mm -hmm. most important part of a Mm t-shirt. 
Especially in 2020. Yes. <laughs> cool. I, that is a new brand to me. So I will definitely go check yes. her out. Um, what is one book that you would recommend? I've got so, I mean, I told you all the studies, right? Um, <laughs> I absolutely loved the book Burnout by Emily and Amelia Nagowski. Um, mm-hmm. It is all about unlocking your stress cycle, but it's a little bit about women's leadership. It's about people pleasing. It's about all the things. It's about gaslighting. Ugh. Mm. It's, it's good stuff. So I, again, it's, I also, I'm an audiobook person. And so I really enjoyed it because they're sisters and, um, they each take a chapter back and forth. And so I really enjoyed that part of it too. Cool. All right. And you said where people can connect with you. Just, will you say your website and your social handles one more time? Sure. Website is NikkiInnocent.com and all of my social handles are at Nikki Innocent and Nikki has two K's and an I. Nikki, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. It's like I'm watching the time tick down and it's a very (laughs) long conversation already. And I still want to ask you a bunch of things. So thank you for your generosity and all that you shared. And I know, I know this is going to be super valuable for anyone listening. Well, Lauren, first, thank you so much for creating this space for this conversation, for asking these conversations, even if they feel uncomfortable. I think what you're doing is just like, so amazing. And I hope you keep doing it. I think what you're putting out in the world is so necessary for so many of us. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I love everything about Nikki's work and I'm so grateful to have had a chance to have this conversation with her and share it with you here. Nikki makes such a good case about the power that small businesses have to make a real change in the world. And I hope you took away as many ideas and action steps as I did. You can find links and resources from the episode at makinggoodpodcast.com slash 32. I know Nikki and I would both love to hear from you. You can find Nikki at Nikki Innocent on Instagram. That's N-I-K-K-I-I-N-N-O-C-E-N-T and me at Making Good Podcast. Thank you so much for being here and for focusing on making a difference with your small business. Talk to you next time.